You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Uh, this is uh, Jeff Lucas, your host of the Surveyor's Hour, uh, your new host of the Surveyor. Um, I appreciate being back here again this week. Uh, we're doing the show every Monday um, from uh, 11 to noon Eastern Time. Um, so uh, last week, uh, my first show, um, I did a lot of introduction of myself, uh, but we won't have to go through that uh, today. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more about me, you can visit my website at www.lucasandcompany.com. That's www.lucasandcompany.com. You can find out more about Jeff Lucas and what I do. Uh, I am a licensed surveyor and uh, a uh, practicing attorney or um, a member of the Alabama State Bar. Uh, so those... Uh, those are my qualifications for doing the show and talking about surveying. Last week, um, we talked about um, various and sundry things having to do with law. Uh, one of the um, things that I want to do with this show is to um, find out what you, the audience, wants me to talk about. Uh, so I invited questions and comments uh, last week. And if you have questions and comments about surveying or anything related to surveying or about anything that I have to say on the show, I, I invite your comments, I invite your questions, and you send them to me uh, at uh, jeff at americaswebradio.com. Uh, the fine people at uh, America's Web Radio uh, will forward those to me, and I will address them on the next show. Well, we don't have any questions or comments this week, so we'll uh, continue down the path that I started last week. Um, and we're probably going to uh, future shows. We will probably uh, bring uh, a guest or two on uh, to talk about uh, the same the same issues. We're, we're we're talking. This is the surveyor tower, so we're talking about surveying. We're talking about everything related to surveying. We're talking about boundary law. We're talking about um, everything related to the practice of surveying. And I'm imagining that some of our audience um, uh, could be landowners who have had uh, issues with surveying in the past or don't understand surveying or um, for whatever reason might be listening. Uh, That's fine. Uh, Possibly we have some attorneys listening who are, are interested in surveying or knowing more about surveying or title company people who want to know about more about what surveyors do, so that, that's fine. Uh, send your questions and, and your comments, and I will do my best uh, to address them on the next program. Save it. It's too much space. All right. Um, well, I just uh, I was telling uh, David before we got on the show here that I've been doing a lot of traveling, and people sometimes want to know where we're where I'm going in the future uh, so that they can uh, come catch a, uh, a live presentation. Uh, at the end of January, I was in uh, Indiana, Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, with the fine folks up there, and uh, they had a great conference. Indiana always has a, has a pretty good conference, a real good conference, actually, and, uh, and this one was no exception. 
uh, met all the fine people there, uh, um, uh, the, the, the surveyors in, in Indiana. A uh, couple of weeks later, I was in uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi, for the uh, Mississippi Conference, and uh, a lot of fine folks there as well. And they had a they had a good turnout, good conference in, in Vicksburg. Last week, I uh, flew to Great Falls, Montana, <clears throat> and uh, attended the or presented at the uh, Montana Conference, Great Falls. It's uh, it's always I, I love going to the conference. Well, I love being at the conferences, and I love uh, talking to the sur- surveyors about surveying the, the the type of thing we're going to talk about on this program. I hate the traveling though; uh, that's the worst part of it. Uh, it took me three flights, uh, three separate flights to get to Great Falls, but hey, that's that's what you got to do. And um, uh, as a matter of fact, tomorrow I'm leaving for Golden, Colorado. We're going to do the Colorado Surveyors Conference in Golden. Actually, I think it's going to be uh, in West Denver, uh, but uh, I think they're generally calling it Golden, Colorado. But that's fine. Um, going to talk about. Um, going to be presenting for a couple of days there on uh, how to make a boundary determination that will win in court, uh, which is basically which is really our. Uh, our current topic uh, for the show, and we'll get to that in a little bit. And we're going to do relevancy in the 21st century uh, in Colorado. Uh, the following week, I go to Topeka, Kansas, and we're going to going to be presenting for a couple of days there um, on some on some good topics. Um, been a while since I um, since I was in Colorado. I think uh, last time I was in Colorado was probably. Uh, in 2013, it looks like, just looking at my records here. So I'm looking forward to getting to that conference and uh, meeting all those uh, fine people in Colorado. I've always had a good time going out west and um, uh, presenting, uh, surveying topics and talking to surveyors. And uh, Kansas is going to be a good uh, good trip as well, so I'm looking forward to that. And then, then my schedule opens up a little bit uh, after that. Um, so I just wanted to give you sort of an update uh, where I'm, where I've been and where I'm going. It gets real busy this time of year with conferences. A lot of a lot of the state organizations will have their conferences in uh, uh, the late fall, uh, winter, and then early spring. Uh, ostensibly, especially up north, uh, ostensibly you can't get much surveying work done in the winter with snow on the ground, but. Um, that hasn't really been the case this year. Uh, I think the, the weather's been relatively mild, at least as far as I'm concerned and where, and where I've been going. Um, so that's that. So what are we talking about here today on the program? Well, we're going to talk about um, surveyors and surveying and uh, just what the surveyor's job is, um, what the surveyor's duties and responsibilities are, um, that'll be the topic of the show until I can get a guest on, and maybe we'll change the topic. But uh, to keep the conversation going, I'm going to do what I, what I basically do when I present a seminar at a conference is I've pulled up one of my shows, one of my slideshows, and I'm going to flip through the slides, and that'll, uh, that'll spark some conversation and um, hopefully some questions that you might want to ask. So... Um, as I mentioned, uh, mentioned it last week, and just mentioned uh, in, in reference to the Colorado conference, uh, we're we're talking uh, the slideshow presentation I brought up 
uh, last week and today is how to make a boundary determination that will win in court. This is um, this is always uh, this should always be a concern uh, of the land surveyor uh, surveying uh, surveying property, doing retracement surveying of existing property lines. Is uh, what happens if I end up going to court? Uh, I know that it uh, it's a topic of concern for many surveyors. They're they're certainly concerned about liability, and uh, in this day and age, with the changes and the rules of evidence and the rules of civil procedure um, and other uh, and discovery and uh, other court procedures, it's it's important to know. Uh, what uh, what it's going to take to win? Because if you end up going to court over a survey that uh, that you did, uh, you certainly want to be on the winning side because there's going to be less liability there if you win if you win the case, uh, as opposed to losing the case. And um, the, the other reason for looking at this program would be that uh, what, what we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, is the surveyor's role in identifying property boundaries on the ground. This, um, this uh, what's been referred to as uh, the quasi-judicial function of the land surveyor. And the reason we, we talk about that, this sort of quasi-judicial function, which, let's be clear, surveyors have no judicial authority. But uh, back in 1881, um, the, uh, a very, a very knowledgeable um, attorney and jurist, uh, Thomas Cooley, who was in uh, Michigan and actually was sitting on the Michigan Supreme Court as a justice, um, he uh, he uh, attended the um, Michigan Engineers and Surveying uh, and Surveying Society's uh, meeting in 1881. It was like their second or third annual meeting. And uh, he presented a paper, and it was entitled The Judicial Function of Surveyors. And he gave that speech in 1881, and uh, the surveyors and the engineers who did surveying were, were intrigued by, um, by what he had to say in his speech. The, uh, uh, the speech that he gave was published in the uh, official proceedings of the meeting, that's what they used to do back in those days when they would have a conference is um, the members, um, some of the members would get up and present a paper. Uh, members are invited guests. Obviously, Justice Cooley wasn't a member of the Michigan Engineering and Surveying Society, but he was an invited guest. He was uh, probably very well known uh, to the surveyors in Michigan at that time. And uh, he was invited to give a speech. And so what they would do is they would take these papers and they would, uh, they would publish them in the official proceedings of the, uh, of the organization. So that's how we know about, um, that's how we know about um, uh, Justice Cooley's uh, paper, the quasi-judicial function of the surveyor. Two years later, when they had their next conference, they invited uh, Justice Cooley back. But um, he uh, did not attend. But he sent his paper in again because they wanted to publish his paper uh, again in 1883, and they did. He sent it in with some slight additions. It's slightly different than the 1881 version, but uh, basically the same message. And the message was that the surveyor um, 
uh, and what with what the surveyor does, the, the surveyor is actually fil- uh, filling a quasi uh, quasi judicial function when it comes to property boundaries, and that is because of the fact that most surveying decisions become final decisions on the ground. Now that doesn't mean that they can't be overturned, but as we discussed to a certain extent last week. It's very difficult to get a surveyor's decision uh, overturned because unlike personal injury litigation uh, or um, some other type of litigation that, uh, that where there's insurance money uh, available to, uh, to um, foot the bill for the litigation, when it comes to boundary disputes, um, there is no, there is no uh, money, uh, generally speaking. There is no insurance money, so... These, these landowners who get into boundary litigation are footing the bills themselves. So you, you've got to have some uh, d- disposable income in order to uh, successfully prosecute or, uh, or defend uh, a boundary dispute case. So the vast majority of boundary disputes or, or potential boundary disputes are never litigated because there's no money to litigate, and, and that's just a fact. Um, it looks like we're getting ready to come up on our break, so... That's right. <laughs> David, we'll, I'll pick up after the break. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. We'll be back right after this. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not... Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for QuickStakes today. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Welcome back, folks. Uh, glad to be back. Uh, again, send your questions and comments to Jeff at AmericasWebRadio.com. You can uh, look up more about Jeff on www.LucasAndCompany.com. And... Um, uh, so send in your questions and comments. All right, so uh, we were talking about the uh, surveyor's uh, quasi-judicial role and how the uh, surveyor's uh, decisions, uh, by and large, uh, there, there is litigation. Um, the, the surveyors do get sued. Uh, boundary disputes do get litigated. 
but by and large, the 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 surveyor coming out in, into the field is is making a decision about where he or she uh, thinks um, through by gathering evidence uh, and evaluating that evidence thinks um, the boundary lines uh, have become established on the ground. Sometimes they're doing that's what they should be doing. Sometimes they're doing something else. Actually, and we touched on that last week. Um, that's what they're supposed to be doing, and so that's 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 a decision about where the property rights are exist on the ground, um, and that uh, that decision there, there's there's a couple of there, there are two or three uh, possible results, uh, basically two possible results of uh, surveying activity. When the surveyor leaves the field, uh, everybody's happy. The landowners are happy. Uh, the landowners that know, uh, who know that the surveyor came out there, uh, might be a little bit nervous about the results of the survey. But if the surveyor basically maintains the status quo, um, finds finds the existing pins, finds the existing or established boundary line on the ground, basically reaffirms what the landowners believe about their property boundaries, then, then pretty much everybody's happy. Uh, if the surveyor goes out there and does something else, though, and um, puts new monuments in the ground, and I'm going to try not to use so much uh, jargon as well uh, as we continue with the program, uh, a monument being uh, an iron pin or an iron pipe or some other uh, object uh, that can be placed in the ground to represent a legal property corner, uh, that's that's a surveyor's monument. So um, there, w- when uh, when we go retra- when surveyors retrace property boundaries, they're generally looking for uh, existing monumentation that was set previously, uh, possibly by surveyors. In some cases, maybe possibly by the landowner. So that's what the surveyor is searching for with that metal detector and, and digging around fence corners and fence posts or. Out in uh, out in the field and in, in the forest, looking for you know these these monuments uh, that represent property corners. Um, so that's what they're that's what they're supposed to be doing uh, is is finding those pins and uh, those monuments and not and not necessarily setting new ones or certainly not setting new monuments in new positions where the lines have never existed. But that happens. And, and that's part of the problem uh, is when the surveyor goes to the field with a sort of a, and maybe sort of a misguided uh, direction or a misguided duty or a, a misperception about what the surveyor is actually supposed to be doing and sets new monuments in the ground, then the, the people get upset, and rightfully so. Uh, when, when the surveyor goes out and upsets the apple cart, so to speak, upsets the status quo, then uh, that's upsetting uh, for the people. That's upsetting to the landowners because uh, in, in the United States of America, American, in American jurisprudence, all landowners are charged with defending the castle, defending the castle, so to speak, because if you don't defend the castle, if you don't defend your title as a landowner, uh, if you don't take proactive steps to defend your title, to defend your fences, to defend your occupation, then um, you can lose some uh, or all of that. That's that's 
just the way the system is set up. You can you can lose some or all of that. Um, adverse possession is is one of those doctrines whereby if someone comes along and, and takes uh, wraps their arms around your property, then they um, they can end up owning that property eventually. That's just the way it is. Uh, equity. We talked about equity last week. Equity um, uh, aids the vigilant. Uh, not those who slumber on their rights. So you can slumber on your rights and you can lose them in the United States of America, and it's especially true when it comes to uh, property ownership. So landowners, um, whether they know it or not, have must react to uh, surveying activity uh, when they when they see it. Uh, surveying activity, when the surveyors come out and they are ostensibly finding the property lines that have become established on the ground, but maybe they're actually doing something else. Now, so um, in the one instance, the surveyor went out there and basically uh, affirmed the status quo, and most everybody is happy. Uh, next surveyor comes out there and actually uh, upsets uh, the status quo, um, maybe even um, throws the neighborhood uh, into turmoil to a certain extent because the surveyor has come out there and marked new lines. Well, from that point, there's a couple of things that might happen. Uh, one is that the uh, the neighbors um, are good neighbors, and they know that the, uh, the new pen, the new monument that was put in the ground by the surveyor isn't where their existing property lines are located. And this is this is a sad thing for the land surveying profession because in, in some cases the landowners know more about property boundaries than the than the uh, than the surveyor who um, under some misguided duty is out there you know, driving new uh, pins in the ground where they shouldn't be so they'll ignore the survey results they'll ignore the survey results but that's hard to do I mean you have to have landowners who are really uh, confident in their corner positions. Uh, and their boundary positions for for whatever reason uh, or however they came by that knowledge so uh, but that's that's going to be the rare situation. The more common situation is when everybody gets upset about the the new survey results, and then that leads down the road towards some kind of litigation that leads down the road. Um, it could be anything from uh, the neighbors uh, are going to um, um, one, one of the neighbors is going to feel like um, they have lost property because the surveyor identified a new property line on the ground, and the other neighbor is going to feel like they gained property. So that neighbor who thinks that they neither one of them is happy because they both want what they think uh, what they think they own. Uh, the one who's losing property wants the line that's always been, and the one who's gaining property only wants what what's there so they could end up hating each other for the rest of their lives um and it can get worse from there there could be actual fights there could be actual um gunplay uh, and th- there are the stories out there and you see them every now and then where one neighbor actually shoots the other neighbor and, you know when we used to have a newspaper you would read these articles every now and then and then when you started Digging down into the into the story, you found out that it was uh, the um, the impetus for the 
for the violence was a new survey that, uh, you know, that ostensibly required the landowners to move their fences uh, to the new property lines because the surveyor identified those as the property lines. And then hopefully, hopefully it doesn't go that that to that extreme. But uh, it's also kind of extreme uh, to go to court to to fight these things. And because, as I said earlier, not not everybody has has enough money to foot a uh, to foot the bill for a boundary dispute case. That could be very very expensive. Uh, a boundary dispute case that would involve. Um, it would involve a couple of surveyors, some experts, uh, some attorneys, uh, and then doing depositions, and then uh, actually going to a trial that might last three or four days. Um, you know, you're, you're going to end up having to shell out, as a landowner, you're going to end up having to shell out something in, to the tune uh, of $100,000 to get your, uh, possibly to get your uh, adjudication. Maybe a little less, maybe more. It, it kind of depends on the situation, but uh, certainly it will be tens. It will be tens of thousands of dollars uh, involved in uh, involved in a boundary dispute case. So this is um, this this isn't really this isn't good. It's not good for the land surveying profession. It's not good for the land surveying profession to be sending people to court for no good reason whatsoever because. Generally speaking, when you take a boundary, uh, especially a boundary dispute case, when you take that to court, um, what, what, what the uh, as a general proposition, I, I would guess, I would I would say it, I would put it that way. Uh, generally speaking, what's going to happen? There's exceptions to this, obviously, but generally speaking, what's going to happen is the judge, and it's usually in front of a judge. Uh, Although boundary dispute cases can be uh, tried in front of a jury, but that's just more money um, for the plaintiff and the, or for whoever's going to pay for the uh, for the jury. It's usually whoever asks for it. But uh, in many cases, it's just the judge, and one of the reasons it's just the judge and not a jury is that the attorneys feel like, well, um, you know, these are some these are some matters that are kind of confusing. This uh, this inside baseball with uh, with surveying, and we're we're afraid we're going to lose the jury on some of these esoteric issues uh, if we do this thing in front of a jury. And who knows? We 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 might uh, we just don't know what we're going to get. So many times these these boundary dispute cases are argued in, just in front of the judge. So the judge will the judge will determine uh, what the facts are. And the judge will rule on the law. The judge will be both the lawgiver and the fact finder. But uh, by and large, these um, boundary dispute cases um, get settled by the judge, uh, or the judge is looking to maintain the status quo. Um, if if a new survey came out there and and moved the property lines around, then generally speaking. What the, what the court decision is going to do is going to it's going to move those lines back so that we're not actually having to move fences and uh, and and move occupation around. The judge is going to do everything the judge can do uh, to maintain the status quo, which is what the surveyor should have done in the first place. 
and um, and there are a lot of tools for the surveyor to do that, and that's called the uh, there and they are called the appropriate boundary law principles, or uh, otherwise known as um, the boundary location doctrines, uh, the boundary establishment doctrines. Uh, those are the tools that the judges use in order to maintain the status quo, and those tools are also available to the surveyor, and that's what I talk a lot, a lot about. I talk, I talk about that a lot in these uh, seminar presentations that I do. Jeff, we're going to about we're going to need to let people soak that in and uh, take our second break. We'll be back with Jeff Lucas and the Surveyor's Hour right after this. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly steak. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show? talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio. Just email gm at americaswebradio.com, and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Welcome back, folks. Uh, This is Jeff Lucas, your host. And uh, send your question questions and comments to jeff at americaswebradio.com. If you are going to be in at the Colorado uh, Surveyors Conference this week, uh, I'd love to meet you there. Come by and say hello. Uh, tell me you heard the show. Um, that'd be great. And uh, next week, it's Topeka, Kansas. If you are with the uh, surveyors in, uh, in Kansas, come by uh, and visit uh, visit me. Come come talk to me. Let me know you, you heard the show. I'd love to talk to you about it. 
Okay, um, we're still talking about how to win a boundary, uh, how to make a boundary determination that will win in court. And this is uh, this is one of the things that drives surveyors. It's uh, fear of fear of being sued, fear of litigation, being sued for negligence. So we, uh, in order to uh, in order to um, uh, to to really understand what uh, what is going to happen at court, I put this program together, and so we're going to kind of crawl through it here over the next couple of weeks. So I'll get a guest in here. So one of the things we need to know uh, going to court, uh, if we end up in court, is what is the uh, the evidence standard, the the standard of proof that is going to be necessary uh, to win the case. And um, so I call these, for lack of a better term, uh, the evidence standards. And really, actually, what I mean by that is, in civil court, um, the amount of evidence needed that leads to the proof of the matter. All evidence is not good evidence, uh, and all uh, all evidence does not uh, uh, does not necessarily lead to the proof of the matter. So it's the evidence that leads to the proof of the matter. Uh, that we are most interested in, and uh, in, in civil court, in civil court, uh, that is uh, the amount of evidence that leads to the proof of the matter is um, the preponderance of the evidence, or the greater weight of the evidence, or to put in more precise terms, I guess, more than fifty percent of the evidence that is presented at trial, that is uh, that is entered uh, uh, into the trial and accepted by the court. Uh, and then that leads to the proof of the matter. More than 50% will win the case. So that's what's called weighing the evidence when we talk about those terms, when, when I talk about the surveyor gathering and evaluating evidence, weighing that evidence, um, and, and then uh, making a well, giving a well-reasoned opinion on the only question the surveyor has, and that's the location question. Boundary determination is a two-part question. What is the property, and where is it located? The what question isn't necessarily the surveyor's question. Um, we, we need to understand what the property is, but uh, the, our question for the surveyor, and the reason surveyors are, are, are licensed, is for um, giving an opinion on the location question. Where is the property located uh, on the ground? So, um, but continuing with the evidence standards, almost no evidence is uh, is uh, termed a scintilla of the evidence. Going up a scale from zero at the bottom and a hundred percent at the top, uh, a scintilla of evidence is near the bottom of that scale. As we go up the scale, before we reach a, a, a preponderance, um, the evidence standard is substantial. Somewhere between no evidence and 50% of the evidence would be substantial evidence, okay? Um, Now, what do they use substantial evidence for? Well, if you lose your case at the trial court level and there's a decision made to uh, go up on appeal, um, the appellate court will use substantial evidence as the barometer for determining if uh, that trial court decision needs to be overturned. If there's substantial evidence, not a preponderance, not a scintilla, but if there's substantial evidence that leads to the proof of the matter that supports the ruling 
of the trial court judge. The, the judge uh, got the law correctly. Uh, there's substantial evidence. Uh, the facts in the case support that ruling, and there are no, you know, there are no, uh, 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 there are no big errors in the ruling. Then uh, that uh, that uh, trial court decision is going to be upheld. So you're going to have to have if you're going to overturn what you would cons- what you think is a bad decision, you're going to have to have uh, a preponderance uh, of the evidence that was presented at the trial uh, weighed against uh, weighed against the decision that was actually made by the court. So um, that's that's what you're going to need. The the trial court decision only needs a substantial evidence supporting the decision but to overturn that decision you're going to have to have a preponderance of the evidence that led that should have led the judge to a different determination so that's how you're going to get uh, overturned uh, you would get a trial court decision overturned uh, above uh, a preponderance of the evidence which is what you need to win in civil court uh, is clear and convincing somewhere between the uh, the majority of the evidence or a preponderance of the evidence, the greater weight of the evidence, and uh, beyond all reasonable doubt, beyond all reasonable doubt, that is the criminal standard uh, in the United States, between those two is clear and convincing evidence. It's a heightened standard. And some things that require clear and convincing evidence in most jurisdictions, in most states, uh, Adverse possession, winning an adverse possession case is going to require clear and convincing evidence um, um, that leads to the proof of the adverse possession. So that's a heightened standard. Also, fraud, generally speaking. Fraud has a, uh, has a heightened standard as well. It usually requires clear and convincing evidence uh, to prove uh, the fraud allegation. And then finally, and who doesn't, uh, well, maybe there's some people, but who, who doesn't remember the O.J. Simpson trial, okay? Um, he was, uh, his criminal trial uh, was, uh, the, the evidence standard used there was beyond all reasonable doubt, beyond all reasonable doubt. And uh, so we couldn't convict O.J. under that standard because it was just too high. Um, if it if the if it doesn't fit as the saying went, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. So that um, that is uh, our criminal standard uh, of evidence uh, in American jurisprudence, which doesn't apply to surveyors. <clears throat> okay, and not all evidence is good evidence. In order for uh, evidence to be admissible. In order for evidence to be admissible in court, it has to be relevant to the issue. Um, the, sir, the, uh, the attorneys who are, um, conduct, who are um, prosecuting the trial or defending uh, at trial, they have to lay a foundation for the evidence, and then they proffer the evidence for uh, admission, uh, and then the judge will rule on that. So it's got to be relevant. Uh, it's got to... Um, it's got to be accepted by the court, and then it comes in, and, and all of the evidence, you know, documentary evidence, surveys, uh, testimony, then that evidence gets uh, turned over to the jury or the judge sitting without a jury, and that's who uh, determines the facts. It's called the trier of the facts. 
the judge is the trier of the facts. Uh, if, if the judge isn't sitting with a jury, if there is a jury, then the jury will be the trier of the facts. And, uh, and then those facts are the facts. So, um, um, yeah, I, I've, I've written uh, a lot about court decisions uh, involving surveyors and uh, survey practice and, uh, you know, negligence charges or just boundary disputes and, and uh, you know, these, all, these are not all ancient cases. So in, in many situations, I've, uh, I've gotten emails back from surveyors who were involved in the case uh, telling me, Jeff, you didn't know all the facts. You know, you, you didn't know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know all the evidence that was sub- necessarily that was submitted at trial. But when I get an appellate court opinion, which um, restates the significant facts, the facts in the case that led to the ultimate decision that was made by the trial court, well, I have all the facts that I need. Um, yes, um, it, whenever I write about a case or present a case at a, at a seminar, I, I don't know all the evidence that was submitted. And there, there's, there's got, in many cases, there will be tons of evidence that was admitted, but uh, I, don't, I don't need to know about that. That's why we read court opinions, because these appellate court opinions, generally they're the only ones that get, um, they get published. Uh, by and large, uh, trial court opinions don't get published anywhere. You might be able to get a copy of one if, um, if you were involved in the case or otherwise it, got, uh, it gets printed online. But um, primarily, um, or generally speaking, uh, the only cases we're going to read about will be the uh, uh, the published appellate court opinions. And what they do uh, when they're giving these opinions is they are reading the court record, uh, everything that gets uh, sent up to them uh, by the attorneys uh, who are appealing. They read the court record. They read the trial trans- transcript. They look at the documentary evidence. And what, they do, what they're looking for is they're looking for the factual situation that took place that caused uh, this trial to come about. And then they take those facts and they rub them up against the the law. What does the law say about uh, these facts that have been determined at the trial court level? And that's how we get a court opinion. That's why I use them. That's why they're important for land surveyors to be familiar with because... um, and so that's what I look for when I'm looking for a case to write about, when I'm looking for a case to discuss, when I'm looking for a case to present, cases that we'll probably talk about on this uh, on this program. I'm looking for a good fact scenario uh, that the surveyor or landowners can, um, uh, can relate to. And then what was the law as it related to those facts? So we, we get really, really close to a situation we may have in mind or a situation we actually have on our desk as surveyors uh, that we're dealing with. So um, uh, it's very important for surveyors, and I encourage surveyors in almost every conference I go to, to be able to do um, some minimal uh, legal research, if nothing else, at least some basic legal research so that if you get in a bind or you're trying to find uh, an answer for this particular problem that you have, um, you, you can go. Um, you can go find answers in in your specific jurisdiction. Now, one of the one of the great things about uh, 
American property law is uh, because it's so heavily infused with court decisions, uh, it has become like homogenized milk. Uh, what uh, or vanilla ice cream? What is applicable in Alabama is generally applicable in Mississippi, generally applicable in Florida. What's applicable in Indiana is generally applicable in Illinois, is generally applicable in Missouri. Um, and we're coming up on a break. We'll have to pick up on this uh, after the break. And if you don't mind, Jeff, I'm going to throw out that. Uh all of these shows are archived, and uh, you can go to iTunes and or to America's Web Radio and uh, listen to them, download them, and listen to them anytime that you want to. And I also want to throw in a plug for my good friend Kurt Sumner and NSPS. Um, Kurt is a great executive director, and we appreciate all that uh, Kurt does for the surveying industry. And Jeff... Uh, is a friend of Kurt's, and uh, that's how I got Jeff's name. And we're delighted to have Jeff in the uh, America's Web Radio family. And uh, just to throw this out, we are listened to around the world, and we get a lot of comments from Australia and also the U.K. and Canada and Germany. So uh, this show goes out to everywhere and it is listened to and you can listen to it at your convenience anytime you want to it's on all of the familiar podcast servers that we know about throughout the country so if you happen to have a uh, podcast server that it's not on let us know and we'll get it on so we'll be back with jeff right after this quick stakes is your answer to staking lightweight easy to ride on easy to use easy to find and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes have you tried a sample if not get a pen and paper and write down this number 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today you're listening to america's web radio on the america's broadcast network.com thank you for listening Okay, folks. Uh, welcome back. We're talking. About, we were talking about the rules of evidence. Remember, uh, don't um, don't hesitate to send your questions and your comments uh, to Jeff at AmericasWebRadio.com. I'd love to address your questions and comments and in in, uh, in the next show or future shows. So uh, we're talking about how to win, uh, how to uh, make a boundary determination that will win in court, and we were. Uh, talking about our evidence standards, one of the uh, one uh, a pivotal moment, I guess we could say, um, in American jurisprudence was the adoption of the Federal Rules of Evidence and the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. Uh, prior to the adoption of the Federal Rules, which uh, took place in the mid 1970s, sometime in there, 73, 4, 5, somewhere in there. <clears throat> Federal uh, 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 Congress uh, passed the and adopted the Federal Rules of Evidence and Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. Prior to that, um, the states um, generally just had their own rules. So there was a mixed bag uh, out there. And um, but um, now this is this is unofficial. This is 
Jeff's uh, search of the internet and and just some uh, uh, checking in uh, each you know a jurisdiction jurisdiction here or there. Uh, I, I didn't check all 50 states to find out if they have adopted the, the federal rules of evidence and the federal rules of civil procedure. Um, but my research indicates to me that probably. 42 states out of 50 have adopted the, those rules as their own, maybe with some slight variations or uh, some uh, maybe maybe whole part or renumbering or whole parts have been uh, have been changed. But uh, so 42 states out of 50—that's the vast majority of our of our jurisdiction. So when I talk on this program or in any of my programs about the rules of evidence, I'm generally looking at the federal rules of evidence and the federal rules of civil procedure. And there's some of these rules that you, if you're going to end up in court, if you're doing surveys anticipating, which you should be as a land surveyor, you should be surveying property uh, as if that um, uh, each and every map that you do, each and every survey that you do, could eventually end up in court. But as I've already discussed, that's hard. That's hard to happen because um, because of the uh, the threshold it takes for you know private landowners to uh, to get into court and to uh, prosecute a, uh, a boundary dispute case. But you should still. Uh, practice uh, as if uh, each and every survey you do is going to go to court. So the the rules of evidence, there's there's a couple in particular we'll talk about that you need to be uh, um, uh, aware of. Uh, The first one I want to talk about is the uh, uh, it's called the uh, uh, the ultimate issue rule or the this is rules for uh, it's the 700 rules in the federal rules of evidence most states that have adopted the federal rules rules of evidence um, keep the same numbering series, but not necessarily. That's where some changes take place. But uh, I want to talk about the ultimate issue rule. This has been a sea change in the, and it should be, should have been a sea change in the practice of surveying because, uh, but many surveyors don't even know about the rule. And when I go to presentations and I talk about the rule, you know, some of those surveyors are hearing it for the very first time. Uh, but prior to the adoption of the rules, the majority approach, the majority opinion in the states and all of the jurisdictions was that an expert uh, witness could not come in and give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. And what's the ultimate issue in the case? Well, that's... That's what the facts are going to determine. But, uh, for instance, um, in uh, Daubert versus Merrill Dow, um, the ultimate issue uh, in that case was why did the baby have the birth defect? Was it just an accident of nature, or was it the Dow chemicals um, that the mother ingested? Was it the chemicals that caused the birth defect? Well, Prior to the rules, the majority opinion in the United States of America, the majority of the jurisdictions, and I don't know how many that was, it could have just, it, it, all it would need to be to be the majority would be 26 states, but I can't tell you today what, what states those were. I can tell you some uh, because I have done some research on this in some jurisdictions, but I can't tell you all. 
I can't tell you how many was the majority. But the majority rule in the United States was an expert coming into court could not give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. Why did the baby have the birth defects? Why did the tire blow? Kumo tires. The Kumo tires case. Why did the tire blow? Was it a uh, an environmental issue or was it a manufacturer defect? The tire blew. The family was you know the family uh, the family car crash. Uh, the you know there were injuries, possibly even deaths, but um, the experts could not come in and give an opinion on the ultimate issue in that case. And what is the ultimate issue in a boundary dispute case? If we're not arguing adverse possession, in other words, trying the title, if we're not arguing the legal issue, we're just trying to determine uh, where the boundary is uh, located on the ground then the ultimate issue is, where's the boundary located on the ground? Where's the property boundary between Farmer Brown and Farmer Smith located on the ground? That would be the ultimate issue uh, in a boundary dispute case. And, and, and don't be mistaken, it will be about the property boundary. It, won't, it, will, it, might, it might involve, but will not be a determination of where the deed geometry says the line ought, uh, ought to be on the ground. It will be where the established property, this will be the ultimate issue in a boundary dispute case. Where has the boundary line become established on the ground? That's the surveyor's question. So um, prior to the adoption of the rules, a surveyor couldn't come into court and give an opinion on the ultimate uh, issue in the case. And this is why uh, surveyors will know what I'm talking about here, and I don't want to lose the audience, but uh, Kurt Brown, Curtis Brown, uh, wrote some books. Uh, his first book was uh, published in the late 1950s, uh, early 1960s, uh, Boundary Control and Legal Principles. And he had another book on the heels of that called uh, Evidence uh, and Procedures for Boundary Location. I actually have... The first edition of that book here on my bookshelf, and copyright says, "What was it? Copyright says, 1962." Uh, well, in those books, uh, Brown basically advised surveyors uh, not to make um, property boundary determinations, but to simply stake the client's deed out. Because even if you wanted to give an opinion, hey, he, didn't, he didn't put it in these words, but I'm, I'm telling you what, what was happening back in 1962. The majority situation in the United States, the majority's uh, rule in American jurisprudence was even if you wanted to give uh, an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case, and that's where the property line is located between Farmer Brown and Par Farmer Smith, you couldn't even give that opinion. So... Why be wrong? Why, why, why give an opinion at all? Uh, just go, you know, just go put your client's deed on the ground, um, what, what I call deed staking. Just go put the, which, which means using the geometry from the deed and very precisely putting new lines on the ground. Um, that, that's not retracement surveying, which is what surveyors are supposed to be doing now. That's not retracement surveying. But, uh, so that was Brown's advice. Just go put the math on the ground, just go stake the deed lines, 
because even if you wanted to, you could not give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. But that's changed now. That's changed. The rules have changed. Now, uh, Rule 704, uh, the 700 rules are the expert witness rules. The 600 rules are the lay witness rules or fact witness rules. So we, if you're going to be an expert witness or you're going to testify at trial, you should know the 700 rules pretty well. But the one you need to pay attention to is Rule 704. It is actually called the ultimate issue rule. Now, um, in, in every state that I've checked on this, who've adopted the rules say basically the exact same thing. Now, it is no longer objectionable it is no longer objectionable for the expert to come into court and give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. Where is the, not the deed line, not, not the deed line, but where is the property line between the plaintiff and the defendant? Because, uh, well, uh, let me put it this way. You have to have an opinion on that question as a land surveyor, uh, as an expert witness, as a defendant land surveyor. You're defending your survey. You have to have an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case, and, and here's why. If the attorneys know what they're doing in a boundary dispute case, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to knock attorneys, but um, many attorneys do not understand the nuances of surveying. They don't understand the significance necessarily, the significance of the ultimate issue rule, that now surveyors can give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. They don't necessarily understand that because they don't prosecute or they don't um, do boundary dispute uh, cases or they haven't done very many boundary dispute cases. So uh, I'm not knocking the attorneys. I'm not trying to. But um, uh, the surveyor at least needs to understand that if the attorneys do know what they're doing uh, relative to the rule, they are going to force an answer out of you. Jeff, we're going to have to let people contemplate that. And you are an attorney, so you, you've been hitting on yourself. <laughs> okay. David, uh, had a great time, folks. See you next Monday. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.